Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Some Other Sphere. If you enjoy it, please leave a rating on your preferred podcast platform or like and share it on social media, as it all really helps to promote the show. If you'd like to support the upkeep of the podcast as well, you can donate via Ko-fi. Go to ko-fi.com forward slash some other sphere podcast to find out more. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at spherical underscore pod. Thank you again. And now on to the episode. Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time. Hosted by Rick Palmer. Joining me for this episode is Joe Hickey Hall. Joe is a folklorist, researcher, and social historian with a long held interest in the relationship between supernatural experience, local landscape, and oral tradition. In 2015, she gained a Master's in History from the University of Bristol supervised by Professor Ronald Hutton, with her research focused on the portrayal in medieval Irish literature of a mythic race of beings known as the She. Later, Jo began the Modern Fairy Sightings Project, which set out to record people's personal encounters with strange beings, whose identity might be best examined through the lens of folklore and legend. This then led in 2020 to the start of the Modern Fairy Sightings Podcast, an excellent show where she talks to people who have had these type of experiences with a wide and weird range of entities. In the interview, I talked with Jo about the origin of her interest in fairies, how best to understand what the term means, and the beings that it is most useful in describing. We discuss the often found relationship between fairies and nature, and the more playful, trickster-like behaviour they exhibit which at times seems akin to poltergeist activity, and which we have both experienced recently. This was a very fun and interesting chat. Enjoy! Jo, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. It's a real honour to be here. I'm really excited to, to speak to you. How did your interest in fairies start out? Hmm... I guess there's a couple of <laughs> a couple of places that you could start this story because um I guess initially my introduction to fairies would have been through my my dad and uh, dad was from Cork in Ireland and he would I'm the I'm the sort of youngest of four and so I think by the time my parents had me they were they kind of had a bit more time on their hands and he he used to love telling stories and actually it's something that um, their friends in the Irish society said about him recently that he was so brilliant at at telling stories and um, so when I when I was really quite little he used to tell me story every night and he would tell me about really kind of harking back to his youth in in Ireland and um, you know it's in a quite a a poor part of Cork um, and they didn't really have much. This is, he was born in 36, so it was going back quite a while. Um, it was a very sort of rural part of Cork and they would have a hoop and a stick and they would go out 
you know, playing in the lanes there, really, in the countryside. And um, so his stories would be about these children that would go out playing with their hoop and stick and they would kind of get lost in the, you know, enjoyment of playing and, you know, perhaps realise they'd strayed farther than they meant to. And then, you know, the child, the, the sort of hero of the story, if you like, would would realise that they, you know, perhaps, perhaps they'd lost their friends and because they'd been sort of led off by their own curiosity. And they would find themselves in perhaps a, either a ring of standing stones or near a fairy, fairy fort. Um, and they would hear the words of their friends and parents saying, you know, beware, beware the fairies. And they would kind of feel compelled to explore despite these warnings. And um, they might notice a patch of green grass on the earth that was darker than the rest of the earth around it and and they would feel led to to sit in the green circle of grass and then what would take place is that they would sort of feel you know the earth spinning and they would go down into the earth and they would have these kind of adventures with the fairy folk and then sometime later they would find themselves you know sort of waking up on the on the grass there in this sacred landscape wherever they were and um and at this point then they could easily find their way home um and you know that they brought something with them it might be something that you know whatever was going on in their life at the time if they were having troubles with anything then the fairies would help them with that in some way and so they would sort of take some kind of gift back with them as in some sort of um you know enlightenment or an answer to a problem or you know something like that so that was my first introduction to to fairies but i i was never really into fairies as a child never had kind of fairy dressing up outfits or collected fairy toys nothing like that um the only other interest was then when I was a bit older and he would read me or probably around the same age actually he'd read me um the Enchanted Wood and the Folk of the Faraway Tree by Enid Blyton which I loved and we also used to have that read to us in in school because I was I was at a a Roman Catholic um primary school and um and in the in the canteen while we were having our sandwiches we, this teacher would read the, the uh, Enchanted Wood to us. We weren't allowed to talk, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so um, those were my kind of first introductions to to fairies. But um, as I say, it never sort of sparked any particular interest. When I, you know, when I'd got to sort of, sort of, late teens I think it was um we I started attending these workshops in Jersey because I I grew up in Jersey um that would teach you things like you know how to see auras how to do healing um so this is going back to the kind of late 90s um and things like astrology and the uh the use of color you know the energy um energies behind uh 
colors, the attributes and all sorts of things like that. Quite sort of woo stuff. I imagine some people <laughs> might kind of turn that. But <laughs> it was very interesting and, and I loved it. And, you know, meditation, the things that were actually very useful to. Um, and the woman that led those courses was a fantastic teacher. Um, and she just in passing in one break time mentioned that um, she'd once seen fairies and and I you know I, I just thought oh well no, that's ridiculous you know why, why is she saying that you know that can't be true so why why is she saying this and I didn't really see anyone else in the room take her seriously either she said it and it sort of it struck me but I just refused to take that on board despite everything that I'd been learning from her over the, the sort of I'd probably been going the you know months and maybe even up to a year at that point um so um you know I I I thought that fairies were perhaps a you know nice for fairy stories but ridiculous to think that they might actually be real if people spoke about you know, um, having experiences with fairies, that that could be a possibility. Um, so that was kind of my, that's when fairies sort of turned up again in my life. And then when I, um, I was very lucky to get a scholarship to study a master's at the University of Bristol with uh, Professor Ronald Hutton. And when I came over, I came with the intention of looking into um, you know, dolmens and ritual practices at these places and sacred landscapes. Uh, but when I arrived and, you know, had a chat with him and um, he uh, explained that it, it would be actually quite difficult to carry out a dissertation of, of that, that manner, really. Um, but what would be, there'd be some other um interesting topics to look at and one of them that he suggested was fairies so I was kind of led back to fairies again and um, I was interested in their connection with sacred landscapes and I had actually been working with ritual myself Jersey has a lot of dolmens and um, actually incredibly beautiful places to visit uh, if um people ever visit Jersey do go and check these places out but um you know you could you can freely visit and work with these landscapes and so that that course of study led me to join the folklore society um and I was then invited to co-author a chapter for Simon Young's Magical Folk which was um about British and Irish fairies, 580 to the present. And it was, you know, looking at the literature, the folklore literature, but it was also looking at modern encounters. And so um, whilst we were looking at that, and, and Mark Norman, who I who I co-authored with the chapter with, and I, while we were researching for that chapter, which was the Devon chapter, um, we spoke to a number of people about their encounters and those made it into the chapter and when I got back to Bristol after the the research trip I um, decided to to set up 
on fairy sightings, the Facebook group, and um, and that's how this project started. So uh, the fairies have kind of weaved in and out of of my life, really. And I guess that's a really massively long answer to your question. <laughs> no, that was excellent. Um, at the beginning of each episode of your podcast, you you explain how the encounters people have aren't with what might be described as sort of the Disneyfied version of a fairy. So when you were started the Modern Fairy Sightings Project, what sort of encounters did you feel met the criteria you were setting out for the for the project? Oh, I was completely open. I mean, I would never put my own you know, limitation, personal limitations on, on, on anything, because, you know, these are people's own experiences. And, you know, the beginning, the introduction to the podcast, where I say these, these aren't your, you know, um, wing tinkerbells, that's really just to sort of introduce people to the, I guess, the rawness of these encounters, because, People, I think this is changing, but people have had this idea that, you know, fairies are really fluffy and light and airy and, you know, woo-woo and um, not really much substance beyond the sort of Victorian fairy tale, you know, children's books. Um, and they have been disnified to make them, well, it's just so, in, in a lot of cases, it just takes away their, their actual depth and character and, and, and agency, I suppose. So when I am introducing the the podcast, which is um, part of a bigger project of the same name, the, the Modern Fairy Sightings Project, um, it's, I guess, it's inviting people to take another look, to put their preconceptions to one side and just be open and let's listen to what people have experienced and you know if someone has experienced something that's their experience they own that nobody can take that away from them and it is an honor to hear for them for them to share that with listeners that's that's what I feel and so if if people are sort of coming looking for the sort of fairy tale type fairies. I'm not saying that um, there haven't been some that have, uh, you know, an essence of these kinds of folklore that we read about. Some of them do, in fact, but most of them don't. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's really more to prepare people, I think. Um, there was, I think it is the third episode there was in fact some winged fairies and there have been others as well but you know people's experiences don't really play out like the folklore does it's they're all so very different but they're what kind of ties them together is how people tend to you know feel about them afterwards and the sorts of things the sorts of sense of um, knowingness or enlightenment in some way that they have which sort of ties back to what my the kind of stories that my my dad would tell me really that you would come away from these experiences changed in some way hmm I mean the the term fairy initially it feels quite 
not ridiculous, but the concept of a fairy is something that's so sort of archetypal in the popular culture that to say that you think fairies exist is, it has a certain silliness to it. But I think that from my own experience is that it, it actually really suits the phenomena. What you were talking about before, like the more woo theories about the supernatural and, and the experiences that the people have, the, the sort of the high strangeness. Like fairy actually feels like a term that is very suitable. Well, yeah, I mean, the word, um, the word itself, the term, um, initially, it came from from France. And, you know, whether it was fae, f-a-e, f-a-i, or f-a-y, it was actually a verb more than a noun. It was it was about the act of uh, doing something magical. It was about supernatural activities. And it was it was about their land uh, from the old French fairy. Um, and that was derived from the Latin um, fata, F-A-T-A, which referred to the three fates, the, the Greek goddesses. And then, you know, in, in turn, uh, in Roman times, those were then attributed to the uh, Roman goddesses, um, like particularly other tripartite um, goddesses. And then it, you know, it sort of from Latin made its way into the Old French. And then when it came into... Uh, came to Britain and sort of the Middle English, in, in British Middle English, then uh, the T was dropped and that's when, um, you know, the word fae came along. But before that, they were always known as elves in Anglo-Saxon texts. So yeah, the fae um, fairy, you know, it does come from <laughs> the you know, perhaps that's instinctive in us that it's it's about supernatural activities and I know some people prefer not to use the term fairies and they they might use, you know, euphemisms like the, the good people, um, you know, the good folk, um, the other crowd. And, you know, and that's fine, too. And I think you, you have to be comfortable with, with whatever you whatever your preferences, really, I think. Absolutely. So since you started the Modern Fairy Sightings Project, how has that changed, if it has changed, your your understanding of what fairies might be? And and are there commonalities that tend to to run through a, an encounter with one of these beings? Well, in answer to your first question, um, have I, you know, have I changed my um, sense of you know what what they might be? I think. It's, you know, there's no definitive answer and, and I'm just learning along with everybody else as we as we move through this project. Um, I think if you start to stick too tightly to one spot, you're, you're losing the point, really. I think that, you know, our, our knowledge and awareness is expanding all the time and that's the way that it should be. So, you know, we, I think it's, it's, it's also this project has never ever been about sort of tying down answers and and you know sort of ticking that one off right know what they are now let's move on because um you know we're in this (laughs) particularly in this world at the moment there is so much transition and and change and I, I personally believe we're going through another period of some kind of spiritual enlightenment and and it doesn't surprise me that there are more people interested in these kind of topics because 
we are searching for more because we sense that there is more. Uh, I think that um, what I'm learning, I think what's really striking, and in fact, it's, it's not just myself, it's many of us researchers that are looking at these types of topics, whether it's fairies or, you know, UFOs or ghosts or um, any of these um, sorts of phenomena, then um, what we're finding is that the sorts of um, experiences that people have, they're very there's blurred lines between whether you could say, oh, well, that that's a poltergeist because you have, you have, you know, perhaps knocking and noises being made, you know, these um, anomalous, you know, sort of lights in the sky, you know, is that, is that to do with an alien? Is that to do, you know, is that UFO, UFO craft or something like that? Is it, is it to do with um, fairies? Because fairies, there's one or two stories in, in the podcast where people have you know seen a light that is then turned into a fairy or seen a light that has then been shown to be carried by a fairy um or whether it's you know as i say noises knocking um you know laughter you you could you could argue oh well that's definitely a poltergeist or a ghost then but you know for somebody else that 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 is definitely a fairy so I think that what we're realising is that we need to just broaden our outlook and um, look at them as a as a whole. Really, uh, these experiences are happening. We can't find the answers to exactly what they are at the moment, but you know, are they are all of these sorts of um, beings, if you want to call them that? Do they exist in you know a similar sort of place or are they in similar sorts of parallel worlds that relate somehow to ours we we don't we just don't know but what we are doing is you know sharing this information with each other and and um and pondering over it and I think it's really important to be able to to do that just to allow yourself to freely ponder um, without having to pin any answers down um it's those musings that lead to you know more of an opening of the of the mind really and um and just a an acceptance of people's experiences to take them at, at face value um i think is really important because we do learn then if we're listening with a, a skeptical ear all the time then we're missing a lot of the we're missing a lot of the, the story um, because a big bit of the story is how these experiences make people feel. Um, and so what I find tends to tie these together, um, something that comes up time and time again, is that sense of, oh, well, it just felt so natural. Because if you if somebody said to you, oh, well, you know, what can you imagine what it would be like to see a fairy? You're going to build it up to be this amazing uh, event. And in your mind, you're going to think, oh, I'd be feeling like this. And, you know, but but actually, um, when it happens, people just report the sense that, oh, it was just so, it felt so normal. It felt so natural. A lot of people say that uh, it's very much like seeing, for instance, a deer 
in um, you know when you're out in the wilds of nature or coming across a really beautiful flower or something that you you're not expecting but is um it feels like an honor to to see and in that moment you're just locked into that 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 sense of of beauty of whatever it is that you're uh, regarding and so yeah so that's something that people tend to talk about the the other thing is as I um, spoke about briefly before was that a lot of people say that after these experiences something in their life changes um, they take a different outlook on life or in in often um, in a and often what, what people say is that their relationship with nature changes and they feel more of a connection. So, um, yeah, we don't know what the meaning of these experiences are, uh, but it appears that they bring us closer to nature or source or however you want to, to view it, really. Yeah, um, I think that's that's one of the strongest things that, that comes across. And of course, they're not all lovely experiences either. Some of them are very, very frightening. But even the ones that are frightening, it's actually rare for the person afterwards to say, I wish I had never had that experience. That, that does happen because people have been really, um, you know, um, terrified and confused by some experiences that have happened but on the whole even if somebody has a difficult experience they they come away from it with with something that they hold dear Uh, whether that's kind of a, a bit of a learning experience in some way or yeah a recognition of some sort something in their lives that they you know that they needed to focus on or recognize. Hmm. Yeah, I I get what you're saying about you know not overanalyzing the experiences and trying to identify what these entities are. But you know, when you listen to the the people talk with you about their experiences, you can't help but but ask questions. I mean, something that fascinates me is that you've had people talk about the, the what they see is sort of they're almost like your archetypal gnome or fairy they sometimes they're green which that that feels like that must be connected to nature somehow mm-hmm. whether we're putting that on whatever the the being is or it, it just feels it just feels like there are these these things about the experiences that people report to you that are just so curious another term that you use for how these creatures look uh, is is based on the uh, artwork of Brian Proud and that in itself is, is is fascinating because that's our sort of artistic concept of what these otherworldly beings are. But then people see them and are like, well, how does how does that work? <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I mean, it's funny because, you know, I mean, I as we've um, as, as you know, I, I had had an experience myself and um I was more familiar, actually, with, um, oh, goodness, I don't remember her name, um, the flower fairies, oh, Sicily Mary Barker, 
Yeah. So my mum had these books. They were just kept by the telephone table when I was a kid. And um, so I used to sort of leaf through them sometimes. And they're those lovely, pretty pictures of, of fairies that... Um, they're fairies that represent all the different flowers in the garden. And, um, you know, I was more, I would kind of say when, when this woman, you know, when I went, went to the um, workshops and this woman was talking about having seen a fairy, when she said that, that's what I imagined. I imagined winged, beautiful little, you know, um, storybook fairies flying around a garden or, or walking around a garden. But, what I saw was a gnome, al- along with, you know, many other people who've seen that same kind of archetypal fairy. So, you know, there's this argument that that people see what they imagine fairies look like. But I am thinking more and more these days um, that, that, that that isn't the case because... I feel that, um, well, actually, I have spoken to somebody recently that saw the same being that I saw. Now, this was only last week. In fact, I haven't even really spoken about it yet. Um, But when I saw um, what looked like you might describe as a a gnome, uh, which was this about, you know, three foot-ish tall um, green little being with uh, a very very ancient wrinkled skin um, looking right at me and I was I was out with my husband and um, we had been together probably about six months or so I think and um, you know we were just watching the sun go down when when this took place we'd we'd gone to a location and um, had no expectation of seeing fairies was the last thing on my mind Um, but I I turned around and came face to face with this small you know gnome looking man who had on exactly the sort of dress that um, that Brian Froud illustrates the layers of of uh, the, you know the, the clothing and the little waistcoat and and jacket and uh, and all of that and um, just different shades of green um, and it was only recently that when I went home to Jersey I did actually meet up with somebody that I knew had seen something similar to me because they're a friend of a friend um, I mean I had initially told our mutual friend what I saw. Uh, when it happened she gave me the response that lots of people receive when they tell somebody they know that they've seen a fairy she said oh well you know I think it's lovely that you think you saw what you saw but I'm sorry I you know I I, I don't believe it I I'm, I just can't believe that that's true so she was very nice about it and you know we was fine and she's a really good friend and um, but then sometime later, when I had moved to Bristol, she she called me and she was really excited. And she said, oh, I've got something to tell you. I know I have this friend who has been to the same location that you had been in. And she told me that she had seen this fairy. Now, this other friend of hers didn't know anything about my story and, and didn't know me. Um, but she had just told this mutual friend of ours that um, what she had seen. And at that point, my friend then realised, oh, 
okay there's something in this now that took place um it's got to be about 14 or 15 years ago when I saw what I saw and um I have known about this 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 woman who had also seen something at the same location I've known about this for about probably probably about eight years um but I've never spoken to her and we've we've tried to talk and then it you know it's just been really busy and we haven't actually got around to catching up and so finally this time while I was over we managed to meet and I could not believe it to be honest as she was when she described what she had seen it was exactly what I had seen and it was in the same space um not exactly on the same spot but it was in the same you know within meters of of what I saw so this makes me think now well that sounds like the same being (laughs) and as I say you know I I don't have the answers none of us do uh but it's really got me thinking because up until now I have been thinking that um you know maybe that there are these beings and and there's something to do with the nature of that place and that when we see them we see them through the lens of whatever uh, experiences or um you know artwork or interests we have and that they take different forms according to us and, and our um perceptive lens but actually what this woman saw just sounded exactly the being that I saw. So maybe there are these beings external to us that take their own form and that sometimes we see. So this seems like a possibility to me, like more of a possibility to me now than it than it even did a couple of weeks ago. Mm, that's that's amazing that, that your friend had a similar experience. Yeah, well, friend of a friend. I, I she. Oh, I, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know her, but um, yeah, that's yeah, quite interesting, really. So yeah, as 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 it is with this project, there's always something more to to look at, and the further that I look into this, um, you know, the the more expansive it becomes, um, and I'm I'm just very open minded with it, and you know, I I could go down a path with something and then you know perhaps perhaps this doesn't feel you know um quite right um but what I tend to do is just sort of follow the flow of the project itself so with the interviews that take place um they tend to sort of the project seems to have its own momentum and has has done really since the beginning um since its inception uh and i've just followed the flow with it really i don't uh you know place my own intentions of where it's going to go it tends to be for instance people of late in the last kind of nine months or so have talked quite a bit about um you know childhood experiences and so that's something I'm looking into at the moment just simply because that's where the project is leading um yeah I just I tend to sort of work like that really so this has thrown up something new for me now um 
and and I'll yeah I'm going to explore that a bit more and and see where that leads. Excellent. Was the woodland where you had your experience an old woodland or was it relatively recent? It is an ancient place. It's a very ancient place. And Jersey, you know, it's a very small island. It's nine miles by five. And there are lots of sacred sites all over the island. There are so many dolmens to, to go and visit, as I said. And um, and this place was, you know, you're never far from the coast either. And a lot of these dolmens are sit, sit along the coast. So you have that added sense of liminality there as well. At the time when I had my own experience, it was coming into twilight, you know, so another layer of liminality there. Um, and um, yeah, it's a place that is, it's, these places in Jersey, they are protected, so they're never, well, some of them actually, there's there's one in particular that's that's had a house built directly next to it, which is just unbelievable. And I think that, I think that happened in the 60s or 70s, probably the 70s. Uh, but thankfully now that doesn't really happen. Um, and um, so, yeah, that was a very, it was a very ancient place and one which is protected but I mean if you go there and this is something else that people talk about when they're talking about their experience as well they go to a place and it could just be that you know they're walking somewhere um, maybe they they know that area fairly well but they get into a certain location and they feel something shifts there's something different about whatever you know wherever it is they're walking they, they sudden, suddenly feel that there's this well this sense of of uh high strangeness there you know or, well they if they they have an experience they might experience high strangeness there but there's there's certainly a sense of otherworldliness about some places that people can instinctively pick up on um and where i had this experience is one of those places right okay so what do you think the relationship is between the stone circles that you mentioned and and these sorts of encounters i mean i recently i've i've read um earthlights by paul Devereux, and and in that he he talks about some experiences that people have had and and the idea that ancient peoples were more sensitive to the sort of electric electromagnetic fields of of the of the rocks that made up these monuments and the earth itself and i i, I wonder do, do you think that that would play a part in the places that people see these these beings um, and and is do you think it's something that people have sort of not something with much of lost ability but just something that they aren't aware of as they perhaps used to be mm. i think it's certainly possible absolutely and it, it, it that does appear to be the case going by the amount of um encounters that take place at these kind of sacred sites um you know including woodlands and you know all sorts of locations really um there are a couple that were featured on the podcast that took place in ancient parks as well um yeah and it, it you know it makes you wonder did our ancestors place these these megaliths there because the land was sacred and they knew that and or or are the um 
these fairies or these beings uh, attracted to those standing stones. And I, I think it's the former. I think, I think it's that there's something about certain places, and it could be about the plates of the earth because they were. Um, I had a really interesting conversation. Um, I can't remember which podcast it was. It was quite a while ago now, but they were talking about how. You know, for instance, Loch Ness is on a, a fault line and, you know, whether there's something to do with these lines, either fault lines in the earth or energy lines, energy grids that run around the earth, ley lines, um, that somehow are able to, well, they, they perhaps have a power to them, particularly particularly where they intersect and if so do they provide locations for the worlds to merge in some way are we able to see beyond the veil in those places are those beings of those places able to interact with our world um you know and and because there are these uh, chambers that you can go into in these megalithic, um, in, the, in these dolmen sites. Uh, and we know that the sort of archaeology suggests that the, the people of these places were potentially holding rituals there. There have been offerings found, um, various offerings, and uh, they placed the, the bones of their, their departed loved ones there and that they perhaps went there to connect and communicate with the other world um, and this is something that we can still do and of course we do do we go to uh, we go to graveyards don't we and still we communicate with our departed loved ones um, but you know in terms of have we have we lost that ability I don't think we have I really don't think we have and I think when lockdown happened and people were going out more and more and connecting with nature again, they felt so much um, connection with nature itself, you know, whether that was just going to their local park and, and sitting under a tree there or, you know, sitting by a, a local river and just watching, you know, watching the world go by, um, just having some quiet, peaceful space for reflection and connection it eases suffering so much I mean we know that from many um, pieces of research that have been done as well that it, it shows that of course it does have a massive impact on well-being being out in nature we know that but I think instinctively we do know when we come across somewhere that is a, a special location a special spot and um, and hopefully if we have the time we can slow down and and uh, spend some time there. I think it really uh, opened people to that possibility again when our normal rushing daily life stood still for a time during lockdown and um, we, we did something new. And, and even that itself was a liminal space. It was sort of between the worlds, that space where things could take place that they may not have otherwise been able to in people's lives um so yeah I think that 
we definitely still still have that what what do you think yeah i i would agree um i think perhaps people these days they might find it more difficult to sort of contextualize it i don't know i mean i mean as someone who's been interested in this stuff all my life i think you know if i had that that experience i would be happy to describe it as a a fairy encounter but i'm not sure that people have the the sort of the the intimate relationship with nature that they used to just because of the way things were i mean i I mean it's a while ago now but you know a few hundred years ago before the industrial revolution most people lived in the countryside and you know Mm -hmm. they they just had more knowledge about their landscape you know they knew they knew the seasons they knew what crops to sow and when to harvest them they they just had a more knowledge about the world around them and i think i think when you have that then you you form a more of a relationship with where you live um and i think that the that people can still do that like that's why people love going to the to these places because it it it, it does feel right and yeah. um and it's something that's sort of been taken away from us in a way like with the industrial revolution and people moving into the cities we we just we don't have that relationship with nature that we used to we've been separated from it in a way and i think reconnecting with nature is really important and i think the experiences people are having are part of that like they they they're a natural thing that would happen but now they they seem unusual even though they like you were saying they the people that that have had them most of them don't that they're glad that they had them but it's it's what sort of what sort of lens do you see that through how do you how do you understand it and i th- i think it's maybe more difficult now just because the, the connection to that sort of cultural memory of these experiences is it's not lost but it's just harder to see yeah it's true it's true i think you know just as we were separated as you say um as a result of the industrial revolution you know we're going through a massive time of digital revolution as well when it kind of looks as though we're being set up to uh you know have our um ourselves you know through through well digitized in in a way um that that the digital world will be where we interact and of course we're already doing that a lot aren't we um but I feel that people are feeling that pull back to nature. I mean, obviously, because of the, you know, the issues we're exper- experiencing with um, climate change, etc. Um, we can you can see that around us. I feel that people are kind of waking up to that again. And I think because of what happened in lockdown as well, people realised how precious it, it was to be able to to go outside and. Um, and have any kind of access to to nature. Um, so perhaps this is a return, you know, at this this pivotal point, as as was the, the industrial revolution. Maybe this is where we return. Maybe this is where we return and and um, wake up, really, um, and rediscover. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know that when I go to forests or places where you're sort of away from civilization i mean even even without um the the incredible 
experiences that that people have talked to you about even without that happening there's they're still magical places i went to yorkshire recently and visited a woodland there and and i didn't see anything but it really felt like a special place somewhere where that sort of encounter could happen that it, it was somewhere where you you really felt connected to nature and i i definitely think i mean we've been talking about this in our conversation but that's definitely an element of it i think um whether fairies are the nature spirits or it feels like there's they're similar beings i, I mean i i'm really interested in bigfoot and the bigfoot phenomena and i'm very much in the camp that it's a supernatural creature i mean some bigfoot encounters could be with something that's incredibly managed to survive but i mean you you've interviewed um joshua kutchin and and it just feels like i mean ever having read where the footprints end the, the book he wrote with tim renner there's, there's so much evidence that bigfoot is a some sort of otherworldly being but but definitely connected to environment to to nature it feels that way to me i mean would you class bigfoot as a type of fairy yeah absolutely yeah yeah you know this is it and um you know <laughs> they have a, a tendency to they've been known to throw stones as well haven't they <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And this is something that fairies can also do. And of course, this is something that poltergeists are known for doing. So it just, it really just all blends in. But yeah, I, I would, I, I would, I would class them as, as fairies. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a, as a, as a kind of a fairy, definitely. They are these beings from another world. And, um, you know, we don't know the mechanism in which they, in which we see them or that they, either we see them or they come into our world. It seems that they do come into our world because they, they often, they can leave physical footprints as well in, in some cases. So, um, yeah, I do, I do feel that. Yeah, same here. Something else which feels like mischievous spirits is when things go missing. And uh, I'm, yes. sure this, I'm sure this is something that everyone's experienced. And I'm intrigued by that too i i remember once i was just about to go to work and i really needed my headphones and i was sure they were in my bag and i looked and they weren't there they were not in my bag and i was like really annoyed so i just sort of went off in a in a huff to work and i just about halfway through my walk to work i just stopped in the middle of the street and said look please can i have my headphones back and i looked in my bag and, and they were there <laughs> so that does work in my experience or it's worth trying at least <laughs> I need to do that because I've I've just lost my wedding ring this weekend and oh no I know and I've had some really amazing people called something something like the the lost ring network and um, and and this guy came around this afternoon with all his equipment and and searched my garden <laughs> to see if he could find it um, but I have uh, I have reached out to uh, the fairy beings that may or may not. Uh, reside in our garden and I've even left an offering actually um, and um, I'm hoping that my ring will return um, yeah I, I, I think it does work I mean going by the um, the comments that that people or the stories that people share on the Facebook groups 
where they have lost something and like yourself you know they have searched everywhere and it really is not in that place and then you know they they ask for help and of course then it, it reappears very cheekily um at some point and they just find it in that place that they were looking um that does happen i my my only experience of of having a, a mischievous uh, activity like that happening was um the time that I did see the the gnome when I was with my husband, we went to walk back to the car. So it it got dark and we went to walk back to the car and there are no streetlights or anything around there. There's no streets. So um, it was pretty dark and you, you know, you can really see much. And we were heading back and something to the, the left of us was walking in the grass at the same pace as us. And it was quite, quite high grass to the left and my husband got a bit spooked because we couldn't see anything there but it was walking at the same pace so then he picked up his pace and started walking faster and then it started walking faster and then he started running and it started running and I was running behind and I was just laughing because I knew what 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 it was I had this sense that it was what I had seen and it was being very, very cheeky. So that's the, that's, <laughs> and I later, you know, from speaking to people found out that um, that is, you know, quite a sort of, uh, sort, sort of cheeky things that fairies get up to. But I haven't had anything taken and then returned um, in my home. So, uh, but yeah, that is a really, it's a funny thing that does happen for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not sure if it's the same, but where I live, um, I've had a couple of experiences where I've just been in that state between being asleep and waking up. And somehow I got the sense that there were small children behind me <laughs> laughing, and then they left my bedroom. And then recently, um, something blew a raspberry in my ear um and I woke up like I was I was again in that state and I don't know I rarely have things like that happen to me especially when I'm when I'm asleep dreaming it's um it just seems very odd (laughs) that's really interesting because uh a couple of people have contacted me saying that that they will have you know something in their ear um, but there's actually nothing there, and um, and also that the sound of the the children giggling as well. Yeah. So yeah. if if you were my guest on the podcast, I would ask you, you know, you don't have to talk about this now, but you know, get you to think about what was going on in your life at the time, and um, yeah, just just get you to think about about that and and whether it could tie into something that was happening at the time. Or did uh, did anything happen afterwards? Did you have some kind of epiphany <laughs> afterwards about about something or other? But it does sound like they're being, you know, friendly and a bit cheeky, which is nice. And also, of course, when these things happen, people start to think, right, well, did I invite them into my home? And, and is this something that I I'm feel okay with? And, you know, there's all that, that sort of thing to look at as well. But it, it sounds, sounds nice to me and... And, you know, a lot of people get in touch and, and say that they do have fairies in their home and that that's fine. And then other people 
write and say, look, this is a problem. And uh, and you do know when it's a problem. I think you, you have to trust your instinct on that as well. You know when it's fine, like anything else. You know when something feels okay. And you, you certainly know when something really doesn't feel okay. And you have to act on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm trying to think back. I can't remember anything around that time, anything sort of significant happening. I just, it just made me laugh having a, a raspberry blown in my ear like while I was asleep I it seems sort of like you were saying just seems like it's kind of cheeky but <laughs> yeah and maybe it's it's always maybe in a reminder to us not to take life so seriously because we we do tend to you know life is hard sometimes and um you know there's that little reminder as children remind us of course you know to, not to take life too seriously so yeah things like that we just we just never know do we no no that's very true so um do you think that fairy encounters that happen in houses and more urban environments the beings that the people are seeing and encountering are are different to the beings that someone might encounter in a in the countryside or in woodland or i mean i guess we're going back to what we were talking about earlier but not over classifying things but i'm i'm intrigued as to what you think if there are differences between these two types of experiences? Potentially, because um, when a being is in your space, there's a sense that they are already, perhaps you could argue, familiar with you in some way. They're aware of your presence kind of thing. Whereas the ones that happen in nature um, seem to be a chance encounter in most cases so where it's something in somebody's home and by the way I have to say um, that these sorts of encounters have been really on on the rise lots of people particularly over the last year have been noticing a lot more activity in their homes so if any of your listeners um, you know agree with that perhaps they can get in touch and let you know or, or, or get in touch with me and let me know but um, if if you feel that that you know you you would agree with that then do get in touch because lots of people are contacted saying this that they may have noticed something once in a blue moon before in their home um but now over the last year that they're what they're seeing is definitely got more of a form um and they're making Mm. themselves known a lot more so anyway that's that's just by the by but um yeah I, I I feel that I mean I don't know but I get the sense that they're in our homes for a reason and as I say you can then start to think well did I do something to invite them in and I'd actually rather they weren't here or do we need to set some boundaries here but if they are in your home then um I think a really good place to start is to to connect and in, in, in some way. So light a candle. Um, I use protection a lot. So um, one of my guests actually talked to me about using blue light, which is something I have done since. I always used white light and you know, I still use white light as well as a vision, um, you know, visualizing white light for protection, which is really, really well known. Uh, but also blue light is particularly protective as well. So I might put a, a protective 
envision a protective blue circle around my home um, and I might you know suggest to the person that's experiencing this well perhaps they could say only good enter therein so that you're making an intention um, and you could just connect light a candle and say you know who are you and what do you want in the same way that you might do if you had a ghost um, and just see what comes up I feel a lot of the time these beings are there to help actually um, as I say I don't I can't possibly know that and I have no I have no proof of that but just from talking to people and from my own experiences um, there's a sense that these beings whether they're fairies or ghosts again we don't know but they're they, it feels like they're there to, to help in some way so um, in terms of their way of being I'm not sure how different they are to those in nature I know a lot of those in nature seem to have I mean, some of them are just minding their own business, really, and then they bump into a human, same as we would, you know, bump into a fairy while we're minding our own business. Um, but some fairies in nature, you know, they might come with some kind of message about nature, or that's how it seems to whoever's had that experience. Um, in terms of their nature, it's really on an individual basis because. Some people have really lovely experiences in nature um, and or really terrifying ones and the same in the home, you know. They have really nice sense, something's in the home um, and it, it, it feels good. It feels like it's changed the, 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 the vibe of the home for the better um, or the opposite. Um, what I think is really interesting actually I was thinking about this lately, is that we have so many fairy doors now. Now, you've got fairy doors in nature because it's for about the last, say, I don't know, 15 years at least, you've had this craze of um, putting fairy doors in, you know, in, in children, in woodland for children, you know, making woodland paths and everything and making it fun for, for kids to, to go into the forests and and all of that sort of thing, which is really lovely. Um, and uh, and some people have these fairy doors in their gardens. Some people have these fairy doors in their homes. And I just love this idea that we have basically put portals everywhere, <laughs> <laughs> whether consciously or unconsciously. We have put these portals, potential portals for fairies and for the other world to come into our world just about everywhere. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe this, this rise in, uh, experiences that, that people are having, uh, having and reporting, um, it just makes me giggle to, to think that, you know, perhaps unknowingly, uh, have encouraged all of that, but, uh, people have reported, uh, that, you know, they've had fairy doors in their home and then perhaps thought better of it afterwards. So it's also something to think about that maybe, there might be a better place to put that door if you don't want any kind of activity in your home. Yeah. I mean, as well, lots of people have a garden gnome in their garden. I mean, that's, a, that's yeah. essentially a like a statue of a gnome. And I know that 
in ancient societies in in ancient Greece and in in Rome that houses would often have a household deity and the statue yes. the statue was intended as a place for that being to reside it was a almost like a house for the spirit so if that concept has been preserved and exists in our collective unconscious then I think you're right I, th- I think people are unintentionally doing these things and and invoking these beings to come to their to their house <laughs> yeah that's it yeah and it's nice you know you can if, if you feel that's the case and you'd like to encourage that you can um you know leave offerings for instance if you're you know we grow strawberries in our garden so I will I will give one of our strawberries or if we're picking blackberries or you know you can offer blackberries or fairies really love butter and milk and uh, honey so perhaps leaving some of that particularly homemade cake of any sort well cake of any sort but definitely homemade that's always nice um yeah so you can encourage that relationship and it's it's an offering to nature also um you know at the very least it's an offering from your heart to to the wilds um you know, Jack Jack Hunter talked about this idea that um, that the the wilds can exist just at the, the bottom of our gardens, um, and it can be like that, can't it? That you know, once we step yeah. out of our our door, you know, through our threshold into the garden, that we are in some way, you know, bordering on then the threshold to to, to the other. Um, so you can treat your gardens in this way. That's the same with parks. You know, anyone that's been into a park at night and it has a completely different, or a forest, has a completely different um, vibe altogether, doesn't it? And one that feels quite magical and mysterious. Um, it is interesting that we've we've really become more interested in, in fairies and encouraging our children to look for fairies in nature. And that's a really positive thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Joe, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Oh, thank you. I've really, really enjoyed chatting to you. And um, yeah, gosh, I forgot the time. We've been talking over an hour now, but I've really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, and be lovely to speak to you again sometime. Definitely. If people want to find out more about you and the Modern Fairy Sightings Project and your podcast... How best do they do that? Right. Well, you can find the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast on Apple and Spotify and all the other the other apps. Um, and I have a webpage, scarletofthefay.com. That's scarlet with two Ts, scarletofthefay.com. And I, you can contact me through that. And then I have um, on Instagram and Twitter, and I'm, I'm apologize because I'm rubbish on Twitter and I'm really I'm trying to be better but I'm not very good with, uh, with with that at the moment but um that's at underscore remain underscore curious yeah so that's on Instagram and Twitter um so yeah and I always love to hear from people so do get in touch brilliant well I'll make sure to put that information in the show notes lovely well thank you very much and do let me know if you have any more phantom raspberry blowing fairies <laughs> i will no i absolutely will i promise yeah that's great okay all the best then thank you joe thanks
Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Joe. Fairies have been a subject I wanted to cover in an episode of Some Other Sphere for some time, and I think I got the perfect guest to talk about them with. In mainstream media, it's rare that fairies are examined beyond their pop culture representations, but even these hint at their distinct otherworldliness. The encounters that have been reported to Joe and that she's spoken with experiences about are steeped in high strangeness and also feel very meaningful. It's these things that I think seem not only to be the signature of a fairy encounter, but are also why they are best described as such, given that it is perhaps more fitting than being seen as meetings with cryptids or extraterrestrials. Definitely check out the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast if you enjoyed this episode. Please also consider rating it wherever you listen and sharing it on social media as it really helps some other sphere to grow and find new listeners. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at spherical underscore pod and subscribe on most of the well-known podcast platforms. You can also support some other sphere with a donation via Ko-fi. Details on how to do that are in the show notes. If you'd like to email me here at spherehq, the address is someothersphere at gmail.com. It'd be lovely to hear from you. Until next time, be safe and well, and I hope you'll join me again soon for another episode of Some Other Sphere.